Here in America, work is in trouble. We've offshored our manufacturing, sent away good jobs, and lost so much ability to make things. American Giant is a company that's pushing back against this tide. They make high-quality clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, promo code STAPLE20. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Blending the smooth, creamy nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. 
It's film study for week five as we're going to look ahead to the Steeler-Raven matchup. It's when we kind of get a lot of buildup going up to this match. Ken McCusick, how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? Not too bad. Um, I'm telling you, though, it doesn't feel like a Steeler-Ravens week to me. As the, the, you know, coming off a down week of a loss to the Browns and, and looking up, up at them, including the tiebreaker, is not a pleasant feeling. Yeah, yeah, that's true, especially when it's it's two losses in a row and, and Steelers seem to have turned a little bit around with uh, Maya Rudolph and not just gone to sleep once. M- Maya like Rudolph, that. did you say? I, oh, yeah, that's the SNL person. <laughs> so I totally got that name mixed up. Um, all right, but anyway, I don't know the Steelers, so let's bring someone else that's going to actually get Rudolph's name proper, and let's bring Alex on from Steeler Depot. Alex, how are you doing? I'm good, guys. Don't set the bar too high for me. I could screw that up potentially. But no, you guys are right. Just the the quick point I want to make uh, about it not feeling like a Steelers-Ravens rivalry. The last time, and you guys might have saw the stat on Twitter, last time of a Steelers-Ravens game where Ben nor Flacco started was 2007. So it's been December 30, 2007. So it's been over 4,000 days and you know, 11 years. So it, it, it definitely has a different feel to it. Right. I always think of it. Ravens. Right, and then on the defensive side, when was a Ravens game without Lewis, Reed, or Suggs? Mm. That's a good question. Against the Steelers? Right, against the Steelers. I, yeah, I, who knows? I mean, it had time. to be – right, Ray Lewis is like rookie year. It's, it's, it's weird. It's, it's the defense is different as well as both quarterbacks are different this year. Yep. Oh, boy. Bummer. Well, we are here where we are. So let's talk about the important stuff here, Alex. I guess the first things first on everybody's mind is that Ben Roethlisberger lost for the year for an injury. Tell us about Rudolph. Tell us about the change in general and where you think the franchise is going. Well, I think long term it's not changing, at least for 2020 and 2021. Uh, Ben Roethlisberger is committed, and he said this publicly, uh, to returning next year. And the prognosis on that elbow injury that he suffered in week two against Seattle is positive. Um, So all all the expectations is by week one next year he'll be back under center. While we don't know the exact nature of the elbow injury, it's not Tommy John. It's not to a ligament. It's not to a tendon. It was to a muscle um, so that's better for, for the rehab, the recovery, and all those things. Of course, he is going to be 38 with a lot of mileage on that arm, so you never know till you know. But that's the expectation for the here and now. Uh, yeah, Mason Rudolph, this will be his third career start. Um, I, I would categorize it as as good enough so far. Obviously, there's still a lot of uh, meat on the bone. The, the direction of the offense has changed. Last week, I'm sure everyone saw who saw the Monday night game, a lot of Wildcat, a very different-looking Steelers offense. But I think the bottom line for Rudolph is, just to kind of make a long story short, is that in both games— he has they started, he's put the Steelers in position to win. San Francisco, they blew it with the Connor fumble and some defensive stops they couldn't get. And then obviously blew out the Bengals last week. So they've been being careful with him, but he's taken his shots. He's made plays. I think he's tough. He's competitive, competitive. And I thought last week, especially against the Bengals, he was making a profit. He was making good decisions and just getting the ball out quickly. So I think from a baseline level, he's tough. The players love him. They're rallying around him. I think he has good leadership qualities. So, you know, is he going to be the heir? Still too early to tell. Obviously, like I said, Ben will be, will be back next season. So that'll table that discussion. But um, so far, I think the results on Rudolph have been encouraging. So 103 rating so far in, in two games. The thing that really sticks out when you look at the next-gen stats is he doesn't really deliver the ball too far down the field. Any, any commentary on that? 
No, you're right. Uh, they've been really feast or famine, but again, I think that's part of the game managing aspect that this offense has had. Um, I, I think they haven't, you know, defenses have played them de- played back and, and just forced the Steelers to really have crisp, efficient drives and go 10 plays. And they've been really bad on possession downs on third down. They're like 27%. That's 30th in the NFL. So I think teams are just daring Pittsburgh to try to put together these long drives that they have, haven't been able to really the whole season, even before Ben went down. Uh, but yeah, I mean, obviously this Steelers offense can't run the Wildcat every single week to victory. They're going to have to start pushing it downfield. And really not even just the deep shot, but the intermediate middle of the field, you know, 15, 20 yards downfield, really haven't gotten anything out of there this year. So certainly something that's going to have to be improved upon. There's issues at receiver. You're still trying to be careful with Rudolph, um, hopefully with his greater experience and comfort and figure out exactly what he likes and what works well to be able to evolve this thing. But yeah, it, it, it's been an issue. And if they can't do it Sunday, it's going to be a big issue. Okay. Well, one of the things I did notice, and and I one I spent a lot of time looking at what gambling websites, trying to figure out what's going on. Not necessarily just to make bets myself, but to look and see at what are the implied odds that the gamblers give the various division teams. So it's interesting they have not given this division to the Browns, and they haven't said the Steelers are out by any means either. The the uh, the gamblers I'm looking at the best price on odds checker, and I'm going to give you the implied odds. With the VIG factored out, there's about 3% juice in the aggregate futures line right now. When I factor that out, I get Baltimore 48.5% to win the division, Cleveland 40.8%, Pittsburgh 9.7%, and Cincinnati 1%. Which of those do you think, which of those would you take as being the the, the one you'd, you'd put your money on relative to the, it's, they've got a higher probability than what you see here? Wow. Uh, well, I'm not a gambling man, so no one should take this as, as advice. I, I, I don't know. I've barely been e- even able to put myself in that frame of mind because for Pittsburgh, it was just about getting a victory and just trying mm-hmm. to have a chance to make this game relevant and important. Uh, I like what Baltimore has done this year, so it might be the easy answer, but uh, since they're the highest percentage in that in, in that table you gave me, so I'd probably lean them. But obviously what happened Sunday, I think it's going to have a huge outcome on things. You know, Pittsburgh wins this thing 2-3. and three, They're right back in the AFC North. If they lose it, 1-4, and four, your world's away. We're back to Steelers Nation talking about everyone sucks and everyone needs to be fired. So I think Sunday's going to be a really good litmus test for both teams. All right. All right. Very good. I, I think the Browns are actually the smart money in that group, and that's what really frightens me about things right now. Um, okay, we'll, we'll continue on. Uh, the, the trade for Minka Fitzpatrick is something that it, it uh, he was a player the Ravens really wanted to get. Ravens fans really wanted to get. And I'll tell you, of two, there were two players in the 2018 draft that I said, whatever the Ravens' needs are, they just need to damn them and pick these guys. If either of these goals fall to number 16. And the first was Minka Fitzpatrick, who went number 11 to Miami. And the second was Derwin James, who was available <laughs> at number 16, and they didn't take. And, you know, obviously, first-year All-Pro hurt this year. Minka, you know, I, I understand the willingness to trade a first-round draft pick for him after you got past that first historically bad game against the Ravens. Obviously, very bad game there. We, we, we didn't completely understand how much Miami's situation as a team might have you know, fall into nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, but can you take us through your thought process in terms of what the Steelers gave up and is it too much or, or, or do you think they, they played it about right? It was certainly a surprising and an uneasy feeling to see Pittsburgh give up a first-round pick. And maybe that's partially just because of how literally rare it is. The last time, assuming the Eagles don't somehow climb back in the first round in 2020, It'll be the first time they're not picking in the first round since 1967. 
before Chuck Noll arrived. So for me, it's obviously brand new territory, and the Steelers have obviously really banked on developing through the draft and finding good first-round picks like a T.J. Watt or a Cam Hayward or a Marquise Pouncey, David DeCastro. The list is pretty lengthy. Ben Roethlisberger, of course, former uh, 11th overall pick. So it's an, it was an unnerving feeling in that sense. And obviously, I think the national media, and rightfully so to some extent, will judge it based off of where the Steelers are picking after the season. I think if they're picking at eight, that'll be a much different discussion if they're picking somehow at 22, for example. So I think that book's kind of, you know, still... Uh, the jury's still out, I should say, about the, whether or not it was a smart trade from that aspect. But I'll say this is that, you know, this is not just a short term move. I think everyone viewed it as, oh, the Steelers are desperate. They're trying to play for now. Why are they trying to trade after losing Ben? Doesn't make sense. This is a long term move as well. Fitzpatrick's under contract through 2021 with a team option or a player option or team option, I should say, fifth year option for 2022. So that he's going to be here for the long haul and presumably for the rest of Roethlisberger's career. So this is not just a this year move. And, you know, the current safety they had, Sean Davis, Tory labor and he went on IR he's probably going to walk in free agency this season after in the offseason anyway so you were going to have to address free safety because there were no in-house options they had nobody on the roster so if you had that first round pick you're probably just saying we got to go draft the safety with that first round pick so you were just kind of cutting out the middleman getting that guy now instead of banking on hoping that you could find someone in the draft so I think when you put it in that context understanding he's here for the long haul he's here for Ben return for when Ben returns next year and that you were going to have to address the position anyway, it doesn't make sense. But you're right. Uh, it was uncomfortable to, to see, you know, them give up so much um, for that pick or for, for, for Fitzpatrick. Yeah. So for, it's four years of team control out of the deal. And they are sweet, mm-hmm. sweet, sweet cap values because right. all of his bonus already got accelerated by Miami. Yep. So he's, the he's deal. million, million and a half, whatever he's going to make on, on uh, for the next three years. Uh, from that standpoint, I just love it. I think the frictions will be there, perhaps because he's making so little right now, to get him signed after four years and not have to wait for that fifth. Right. So, so you know, that's an additional option if he becomes the guy. I guess part of my question is, is he long-term the nickel for the Steelers, or is he long-term the free safety? And you seem to have already kind of made up your mind in the in that sense. Yeah, I mean, obviously they they're gonna utilize his versatility, ability to play, you know, dimebacker type role, a nickel role. He's really been playing a lot of free safety now, but he has walked up to the line of scrimmage and some tight, heavy personnel. He will come down and kind of play as a extra linebacker type type deal. So uh, my guess is free safety, but I think when you have a guy with that versatility, you're not gonna limit him to just free safety. But uh, that's where he's mainly been playing uh, in the in the two weeks he's been a Steeler. Yeah, I thought that one of the things he said when in trying to get out of Miami was that. He didn't really have the body type to play strong safety. And so mm-hmm. that, that was part of what he wanted. Now, free safeties, they come up at the line of scrimmage, of course. And, you know, everybody knows Ed Reed roaming up in Baltimore or, uh, you know, others doing the same thing. But it's it uh, if that was his real problem with it, then I wouldn't think he'd want to play strong safety for Pittsburgh, although people would probably play just about any position to get out of Miami at this point. <laughs> That's what I was thinking, really. I think, you know, when you're when you're losing the Baltimore 59 to 10, you're kind of say whatever you got to say to get the heck out of town. But uh, he's going to be playing more in space in Pittsburgh than he was in Miami. All right. All right. Well, we're jealous that you got him. Uh, we hope it was a lot you gave up. But, uh, but anyway, you know <laughs> what I mean. Uh, let's talk about the season to date, though. Uh, you know, obviously, the, the, the four games since have, have involved kind of a transformation with the Steelers. Kind of take us through that as a fan. 
Yeah, it's been a, a rocky start to say the least to go one and three. Um, the defense has, you know, not always been the best in sudden change after turnovers. Uh, the secondary's had, you know, coverage busts, miscommunications. There's still a lot of youth there, a lot of new new faces. But offensively, it was obviously the really shocking part. You knew this offense was going to take a hit without Antonio Brown, but you really didn't know how bad it was going to be until you had to put that plan in action. Um, and, and at times, the line has struggled, the run game has struggled. There's been play calling issues. But I think the central point for why this team has struggled so much. It's been the issues on third down. I mentioned that before. Uh, they're 30th in the NFL on third down, 27% for the season. They were 44% in 2018. So that's a world of difference. Just, and, and they've been manageable situations, too. I know heading into the Bengals game, I don't know what the stat is after, but heading into it, they were, I think, 14th in, in yards to go on third down, and they were 30th in, in converting. So they Ooh. were in some decent situations. They weren't just in third and forever all the time, which only compounded the problem, made it more frustrating. So, uh, and last week even wasn't great. Even the win over Cincinnati, they were 3-9 and nine on third down and 0-1 on fourth down, so 3-10 overall. So if they can't win on possession downs, this offense is going to really be like going to the, the DMV. It's going to be a real painful experience. So that's the one area that's going to really make or break this team. they got to get better on third down, on possession downs, especially if they want to beat the Ravens. Yeah, I, I, one point about the Ravens there is Lamar Jackson is leading the NFL in quarterback rating on third down with 147, okay? wow. which is incredible. But the Ravens have only converted 14 of 30 third downs by pass. Hmm. How do what's, you have that? Yeah, happen? what's the disconnect? Is so, he just... so there's there's sacks. There, I guess there are some passes that are short of the sticks that have been completed, and obviously he could have some incompletions and plenty of completions still to fuel that rating that mm -hmm. would be of a longer distance. So it could happen. It's just I really I haven't tried to break it down individually. I just saw the rating and saw the 14 out of out of 30, and I was like, this this does not fit to get fit together. Yeah, I know you guys have been good on third down. I think you're yes. top 10. Overall on third down, is that just the run game letting you guys stay on script, or is there something different going on to, to be that, of, that successful? A lot of third and short, but even on third and ten plus, they've been eight of eighteen. So okay. that's you know that's pretty damn good. Yeah. Okay, uh, I'm I'm just speaking of jealousy. You can have Minka yeah. Fitzpatrick. I'll take I'll take your guys' third down <laughs> yes, offense. There you go. All right. All right. Full. Uh, lots to talk about here. So let's let's go on. I, I want to. You've, you've been through a little bit of Rudolph. Is there anything else you want to talk about him? Otherwise, I really want to talk about the offensive line. Uh, and, and what's you know transformed there and, and, and what they're looking like now. Uh, no, that was better for Rudolph. Again, I just think he's tough. He's competitive. The players really like him, uh, and they're rallying around him, and that doesn't guarantee success, obviously. But um, I, I think that he's got those intangibles uh, that's going to help you from take go from a good to a, a potentially great quarterback. But, yeah, the offensive line, it's been up and down. They're coming off a really good week against the Bengals. Um, I still expect them to be, you know, solid and, and to kind of, you know, steady out as the season goes along. They do have a new offensive line coach in Sean Surratt, but he had been in-house for several years after Mike Munchak left. Um, so he, it's kind of a seamless transition. But, yeah, I mean, Alejandro Villanueva left tackles certainly had his problems. I'm worried about him just to an extent. Ramon Foster's well into his 30s and kind of showing his age a little bit. Um, so I, I, they got to continue to. Uh, pick up where they left off last week. I think they've had trouble with some of the stunts and games that teams like the 49ers and the Patriots have used that have kind of tripped them up more than, than it has in the past. But uh, it's still a strength of this unit, and I still expect, you know, the expectations for them are still sky high. Where are you on DeCastro at this point? Is he uh, likely to, I think probably certainly to make the Steelers ring of honor at some point? Is Are you high on his Hall of Fame chances? It's always hard with offensive linemen in Hall of Fame. I mean, the Steelers can't even get Alan Fanica in right now, and mm -hmm. I'm sure most fans would, would tell you he should have been in a couple of years ago. But, I mean, he's been he's been the best offensive lineman they've had this year. Um, and there's just the consistency, the steadiness he shows, the toughness. And he's, I think he's also developed into a leader, too. Um, not a real vocal guy, but kind of a lead-by-example guy. It has become more talkative and kind of more outgoing 
um, as he's kind of become a veteran of, of this group. So, yeah, he's going to be, you know, a Steelers Hall of Honor kind of guy and, and maybe Hall of Fame. I think he's got the resume and the talent to be there, but it's always just kind of a dart, though, because it's so hard for a lineman to try to separate himself unless you are, you know, for a Ravens fan, a Jonathan Ogden type of player. Right. Now, we're hoping, obviously, Marshall Yonda gets in there and that uh, Yonda and DeCastro are, are both players who may be fighting for a single spot. You know, maybe even think mm-hmm. about the wide receiver log jam they had a few years ago. I, I'm noticing Ramon Foster has given up an awful lot of pressure this year. Can you give me a little bit uh, uh, from a technique point of view, things you're seeing that are different? Is he a little slower? Is he a little having more trouble with what? Yeah, I think he has been a little bit slower, and he was never a, a fast guy to begin with. Uh, his strength has always been literally his strength and his size, being 340 pounds. And I remember a, a clinic, Mike Munchak, whenever he was still the O-line coach in Pittsburgh a couple years back, said is that you know Foster's good in pass protection because he's just so hard to get around, and he can seal you off because uh, it's hard to get around a guy of his, his stature, even though he's not a particularly mobile guy. But yeah, I think he slowed down a little bit in terms of mobility. Um, I think his hand use hasn't been as clean. I think he hasn't had a, a, a good first punch, and that lets guys get into his chest and be able to to disengage. So it's evened out. I thought the beginning of the year was particularly rough. Again, last week was really strong um, o- overall all around. But, uh, yeah, he's a guy that's, what, 33, 34 years old. So I think you know he's got one year left on his deal. He may get to that. He may not. they got a guy, B.J. Finney, that could probably step in uh, as soon as next year and, and take over that spot. But uh, he's still been strong and still been a really good run blocker. Pass protection has been an issue, though. All righty. All righty. Uh, okay. So I guess that's some, some about the offensive line. If uh, tight end was something where the thing I remember this story is, is going to Pittsburgh last year for whatever game they played. And I think it might've been a Sunday night game. Vance McDonald was going to be the storyline on NBC. And of course, the very first play that a very first catch he made, or maybe it was the second Jefferson picked his pocket, took the ball away from him and scored. And mm-hmm. They were still determined to keep that on the script. And then when Vance McDonald had a really effective run for about 22, 25 yards up the middle where he broke a couple tackles, they had all their material ready to go. Still, <laughs> but I thought it was kind of funny given the thing. What have we seen from McDonald so far this year? Well, he missed last week uh, with an injury, uh, I think an AC sprain in his shoulder. I, I think he's going to play this week. Obviously, we're still a little early, earlier in the week as, as we're recording this right now. He did not practice on Wednesday, but Tomlin seemed optimistic about it. Now, Tomlin was optimistic last week, and, and he didn't play against the Bengals, but I think you're going to get McDonald back. But, yeah, I mean, he's a guy that after the catch can be a threat, uh, especially in the red zone. He's got two touchdowns already. I thought, you know, the back half of last year, really week 10 and on, they made a really better effort to get him involved in the red zone after really not getting any targets the first you know eight to ten weeks of the season and I think you've seen that carry over into into the start of this year they traded for Nick Vernette a fifth round pick um, who's kind of a Jesse James like player um, probably not great at, at any one thing not a special athlete but a tough guy good hands made an impact last week because they've had some real issues with depth at tight end that kind of necessitated that trade so I think they have a good one-two punch with McDonald and Vernette um, and then the third string guy, Zach Gentry, a rookie who has been playing like a rookie, got a little bit better last week, but someone that uh, obviously is not a guy you want to be out there too much. But if they get McDonald back, they'll have a good, uh, like I said, one-two punch with him and Nick Vanette. Xavier Grimble, is he hurt now? Yeah, he tore his calf. Uh, he got a place on IR last week, so he's out for okay. the year. All right, very good. I'm I'm sorry to hear that, but... Uh, Steeler but... fans would disagree. They were not fans of Xavier <laughs> Grimble. He, he had struggled, so unfortunate for him. All right. All right. So wide receiver, obviously a, a traditional position of just outrageous strength. And if, you know, I know you probably as, as Steelers fans probably wonder how do the Ravens continue to come up with good cornerbacks? 
But it, it, wide receiver is a position where we just can't believe how the Steelers, everything they touch seems to turn to gold with regard to their wide receivers. Well, I think they're trying to get that touch back because it's been a struggle this year uh, trying to replace A.B. And if they go out and sign Dante Moncrief, who you knew wasn't going to be A.B., was not going to be the savior, but you didn't expect the situation he's in now where he was inactive two weeks ago, played three snaps last week, and he's been targeted ten times this year, has three catches, seven yards, and four or five drops. I mean, he's got just, wow. just insane. Now, he had a he dislocated his left finger in training camp, and I think that's still bugging him and, and probably you know compounding the problem. But regardless, um, he's just been a mess, and he was inactive a week ago and, and, and got a hat last week, but it wouldn't be surprising to see him inactive this week, uh, provided he get healthier at tight end and some linebacker positions. Um, but uh, it, it's been a struggle, so they really had to rely on Deontay Johnson, their third-round rookie. Now, I think he's made some big plays, but obviously he's playing – probably more than what they wanted to and quicker than what they wanted to. But uh, it's been really him and Juju as the only two receivers you can count on. Ryan Switzer's giving you nothing. James Washington's gone quiet. He's kind of a feast or famine, big play threat. Uh, Johnny Holton, they've thrown a bunch of deep balls to him. None's connected. So it's been an issue. Receivers trying to separate. Rudolph trying to find him. I thought Feetner has to do a better job of scheming these guys up and have uh, more combination routes and less isolation routes. So it's it's been a, a really different challenge. You know, I know you're you're right, Ken, when you say – the Steelers team's been really good at finding receivers, but this year it's been a 180. It's been a struggle just to try to find three guys to, to field. Okay, so Johnson had six catches, all six targets. In fact, against Cincinnati, looked pretty good. Is he maybe the emerging talent here, given the direction of some of these others? Yeah, absolutely. He's the starting X receiver now in AB's old spot. So you'll see number 18 out there. Um, he's He can he runs good routes. He creates separation. He's done a little bit of damage after the catch. It's about just kind of being able to, to run routes effectively, knowing how to, how to beat man coverage, how to beat zone coverage, being on the same page with the quarterback. Um, his hands have been a little bit of a suspect, a little bit of an issue. But, I mean, the guy has two... 35-yard touchdowns in the first four weeks uh, of the season. So he's a big play threat for sure, but it's about consistency with him. And like I said, I mean, ideally he wouldn't be playing as much as he is right now, but with Moncrief's obvious issues, they really didn't have any other options. They had to go to Deontay Johnson. So there's a lot on his plate right now. Um, and like I said, Juju's been you know taken out. Teams will bracket him, take him away at three catches last week against Cincinnati. So it's been, it's been a struggle, and that's definitely one issue for this offense. All right. I, I, it wouldn't be a good show – unless I asked you about A.B. a little bit. And I know right now, sitting in Pennsylvania, western Pennsylvania is even safer. The Hindenburg is in New Jersey. <laughs> and how do you even watch this? You know, watch the, the Steelers, and sorry, the Raiders in the preseason. And, you know, after A.B. basically twisted their arm into trading him for almost nothing. Mm-hmm. And then see him go to the Patriots and also – you know, have what's happened to him. Is there a certain schadenfreude in all this for you? I think it's a lot more fun to watch it when he's not on your team than he's when, than when he's with your team and you're dealing with that up front and, and, and personal. Um, I just kept repeating the phrase, not my problem to myself during this whole, whole mess. But yeah, I think you saw why the Steelers were so desperate to trade away the best receiver in football and why they got so little for the best receiver in football. They didn't have an option. I know the national media, whenever AB was still a Steeler, the national media was saying, can they work this out between AB and Ben and Tomlin? And, and is it a, a relationship that can be salvageable? No. The answer was no. He took shots at the ownership and Tomlin and, and didn't meet with Art Rooney. And, and once you do that, he just burned every bridge possible. He demanded his way out. There was no way to repair that relationship. So the Steelers had to dump him. It was the right move. I don't 
I don't think it was a bad move, and obviously the history of AB, everything that's happened since, has proven that to be true. But again, the offense has clearly suffered because you don't get him doubled in the red zone, which opens up other guys. Juju gets all the attention now. The emergence or the lack of emergence of other receivers have really hindered this offense. But yeah, the AB stuff, like I said, not my problem. I'm glad to watch it from a safe distance. Yeah, there you go. All right, now running back. Uh, obviously, the since Le'Veon Bell, and his departure, obviously, maybe another element of schadenfreude there in terms of what's happened to him and the fact that he gets to play for the Jets now. What a what an honor for him <laughs> uh, after uh, s- sitting out a year. Last year we were talking about it, and, and you pretty much had it correctly handicapped that you thought that he would sit out the entire year. And, uh, and that was, I guess, I forget exactly when we talked last year, but it was relatively early in the season. There was still a chance that he might be back. Right. And uh, and you, you pretty much had it correctly handicapped. And what do you uh, you know, first of all, the new guys, let's talk about them because they're what really matters for, for this game. But start there. Well, I mean, with James Conner, I mean, I, he's not new to, to Steeler fans or probably to Ravens fan because obviously mm-hmm. Bell didn't play last year. So Conner was the guy. He had a great season. This is just old half for him at this point. Um, he's He had his best week against the Bengals. It was a really tough start because of the offensive line issues and game flow issues and Conner's own issues, too, against the 49ers. He had a late fourth quarter fumble that um, put the, the game-winning drive together for San Francisco and ended up in a loss for Pittsburgh. But um, the guy's run tough. He's been playing hurt. He's always had these little nagging injuries, kind of rolled an ankle last week. He missed practice on Wednesday, but he should play. But he's still the same James Conner that's a complete back. He may not be the elite level that Bell is, but he can block and catch and and get downhill with the football. They got Jalen Samuels, who got really involved last week as a receiver running the Wildcat offense. Um, Someone that's lost about 10, 15 pounds this summer, as a lot of young backs do. James Conner did it. Le'Veon Bell did it and got faster, more explosive. I think that's been evident. And then to the third string is Benny Snell, who's really been used in third and short situations, um, kick cover, special team stuff. But uh, it's really going to be Connor and Samuels. I think both guys overall have done well. Okay. All right. Very good. Now, how often do the Steelers run out of 12 or 21 personnel this this year? I'm just wondering the, the predominance of heavier formations that they use. Yeah, I don't have the exact stat or charting guys on vacation right now, so I'll have to get maybe get that back to you uh, at some point later. But there's still really been a, a base 11 personnel team. I think having more tight end depth is going to be helpful um, with Nick Vanette and Vance McDonald. They lost their fullback, Rosie Nix, back in week one. He's been out, uh, very unlikely to play this week, so really haven't had a fullback to be used. So I would guess around... 20 25 percent of the time obviously being down in some of these games if you know not let them run 12 personnel the the injuries at that tight end the 49ers game they were down to one tight end without a fullback so some of those have uh you know forces team to run more 11 personnel and, and four receiver sets and, and and things like that so i would guess around 20 percent of the time um but it's it's a it's a predominantly 11 uh, personnel offense okay personally i think 11 personnel offense if you if you run any kind of heavy set you're probably doing the ravens a favor so the 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 11 personnel mm-hmm. is probably the way the Cardinals really run almost exclusively 10 personnel. Right. They're one of the most extreme teams in the league. So you'll catch them at some point later this year, but it's, you need to, you really need to play the dime all the time or, or half the time anyway. Are the Ravens uh, getting Brandon so, Williams back this week? Uh, I, you know, that's on my okay, here's, here's the thing. I, there's there. The thing Harbaugh said is it's, he was out, but it's not an injury. So that leads me to believe that it could be two things and it's listed as knee. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, if it's truly a knee, the most likely thing in my mind is gout, that he's got a, a mild attack, which is a buildup of uric acid in the knee. And it, it's something that they can treat and he'll be gone in a few days and he'll be ready to go. That's not that big a deal, but extraordinarily painful while you have it. Um, 
And a lot of older men, by the way, have had it and a high meat diet uh, gets you in that position. The other thing it could be is hemorrhoids. And then they're just not being honest about the about the mm-hmm. knee. But, you know, athletes get hemorrhoids, too, just like anybody else. And and when it happens, it can be very painful and make it difficult to move around. And, uh, you know, I think it's it's likely something of that ilk. Maybe there's something else that it could be as well. But I think if they're if they're being honest about the knee, the most likely thing is gout. Okay, because we were talking to John Eisenberg today on on our podcast, Mm -hmm. and he said he didn't know what was going on with that. He knew that that Williams mysteriously kind of missed last week and didn't know. Because I I love Randy Williams. He's one of my favorite big guys up front. Him and Michael Pierce are such a good duo. So if he's out, that's going to help the Steelers run game out tremendously. Right. I I would agree. It probably will. The the Ravens have had problems at inside linebacker, problems at outside linebacker in terms of – uh, getting the gaps set up properly and, and setting the edge. So they've they've got plenty of other problems, even if those guys are playing. And in fact, even when they were both playing, they gave up plenty of yardage at Kansas City, for example. Yeah, I mean, changing the guard. I mean, no Suggs, no Mosley. I mean, I like Kenny Young, but I know your pass rusher has been Matthew Judon's been your best pass rusher, I guess. I mean, I feel like there's really no guy like like Suggs used to be. Yeah, there's no there's no guy like Suggs used to be. And the uh, more importantly, you mentioned Kenny Young and liking him. He's a fast downhill player, and all three of the Ravens linebackers are like that, and they're mm-hmm. inside linebackers. And that's the problem, is they've yeah. been just beaten con- like a drum over the middle of the field. And Thomas plays a very deep center field, and it means that the area between levels two and three is wide open for all kinds of uh, air traffic. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping that Rudolph stays with his nice short pass <laughs> limitations, because that, that's the only thing that will stay in front of our linebackers. Gotcha. And they, they did pick up two new linebackers this week. LJ Fort was one of them, so we probably need to talk about him briefly. In terms, of, what did you what do you know of LJ Fort in terms of his coverage ability? Looking back at his time with the Steelers, he's athletic. He can move. I don't know. He's obviously not going to be a, a top coverage guy in football, but he, the Steelers always gave him a raw deal because he was always, I think, a, a, one of the more talented linebackers they had, especially after losing Ryan Chazier, and they just never really gave him a chance until he was literally the last option. Like they moved. Arthur Motes, who's an outside linebacker to inside linebacker before playing LJ Fort. They signed Sean Spence off the street before they played LJ Fort. Fort was always a good athlete, and he just never got a good deal. I think I, I'm sure Pittsburgh wanted him back, but I'm sure Fort said, get me out of here because I want to go somewhere where I'm wanted. Obviously, Philadelphia didn't necessarily feel the same way uh, releasing him, which, long story short, has implications for, for Pittsburgh because that third-round comp pick they're supposed to get for Bell is now in jeopardy. Because Fort's been released, they're probably going to have to release Dante Moncrief by week 10 to get that third-round third, third round comp pick. So that's a story for, for later on. But, um, yeah, I like Fort. I like Josh Bynes, too, you guys picked up. I liked him out, yeah. out in Arizona. Um, so I think you guys got some good some good names at inside linebacker. Well, we, we liked him, too. when he was Back when he was with the Ravens early on, he wasn't the, the star. And he, and he obviously played a lot more at Arizona and, and developed more of a resume in terms of a player. But he did a couple things for the Ravens that are really special. Obviously, he made the last tackle of the Super Bowl. But but beyond that, he's one guy who actually called plays for the Ravens in 2012 in two games. And there's very few other players than, than Ray Lewis who did from 1997 to 2012. So it's kind of interesting to get him back. And, and you know, he's a possible Mike Helmet guy. And that's been a problem. They've had, they've had a lasso uh, with the Mike, which meant they couldn't get him off the field. The last week they moved it up to Jefferson and that changed things and allowed them to play some different defenses. But uh, I'm I'm very bullish on the Ravens' ability to go to some quarter defense in obvious passing situations, get a seventh defensive back on the field, mm-hmm. and 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 try and uh, combat some uh, some of the problems they've had in the passing game that way. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Enough about the enough about the Ravens. We're really supposed to talk about the Steelers here. Um, defensive scheme wise, let's move. Oh, I didn't ask you about common plays or formations. Obviously you talk about 11 personnel. When I think of the Steelers, I think of the bunch formation as being the primary 
Yeah, yeah, they're still doing that a lot to help Juju get free releases to try to, you know, disrupt some of those bracket coverages defenses want to run. I mean, it's been hard to identify exactly the Steelers' place because of a new quarterback coming in and just kind of the how haphazard this offense has been and lack of rhythm it's been able to get. Um, they run some mesh concepts on third down, some man beaters like that, a hang concept, curl flat to each side with a tight end, five-yard curl over the middle. But it's really just trying to find and re- honestly reinvent this offense. That's why you saw Wildcat last week and saw some stuff you haven't seen from uh, Steelers offense in a long, long time. So it's kind of uh, almost new to us too. I mean, I don't expect the team to use a lot of Wildcat against the Ravens because the Ravens defended better than the Bengals. It's on tape now, obviously. So it's kind of hard to pin down what the identity of this offense has been because the identity of this team overall has been an issue. So I think I'm finding out just as much as you guys are. All right. All right. Very cool. Let's move on to the defense. I think we did a pretty good job on the offense there. Uh, Most common base looks and what do they go to in pass defense? Yeah, uh, it's still their two four five nickel is still for their their predominant package. Uh, they have their three four base obviously, and they do have dime, but they haven't used dime the last two weeks. Ever since uh, the Minka Fitzpatrick deal, losing Sean Davis, um, I'm not entirely sure why that is, but they've been staying even in third and fifteen. They'll be with their uh, nickel defense, and, and they will swap out the nickel cornerback. Mike Hilton's kind of an early down nickel guy, and then Cam Sutton comes in. They're like uh, Sutton's coverage goes better. Hilton's a better run defender and blitzer, uh, but they haven't run that. Uh, what would it be two three six? which we saw a lot of last year. So it's been pri- primarily their 245 nickel. Okay, so it, it, just to confirm, because some people have used different terminology for this, it's two inside linebackers on the field in their nickel. So they use a slot corner, they use two outside corners, they use two safeties and two inside linebackers. Right, the nose tackle okay. gets removed. Okay, yeah. very good. So that's that's uh, same terminology. Sometimes people talk to me about that, right. about that second linebacker. Well, he's just a football player, so he can be a – it doesn't matter if he's a safety or mm-hmm. not. Well, that's what the dime is. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I got you. Okay. Uh, the return of the dominant pass rush. We need to talk a little bit about that in Cincinnati because they rolled up eight sacks in that game. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, with this defense in general, they better play well. They better be dominant. There's 10 first-round picks on this defense. They're just grabbing them off the shelves. I mean, trading for Fitzpatrick, all the draft picks invested. I mean, I think for seven or eight straight drafts, they've gone defense in the first round. Um, and, and then, you know, you get guys like Tyson Alulu, who's a backup rotational lineman, former first-round pick, former top-ten pick of the Jaguars. But to the Patriots specifically, yeah, uh, they've been dominant. Watt, Bud Dupree's having his best season ever. I think Watt's an elite player. Hayward, it, Hargrave. Hargrave in a contract year probably won't be a stealer this time next year. Unfortunately, he'll probably be somewhere else getting uh, big time money. But but yeah, it's, it's a really strong front seven. And you saw what they did to a bad Bengals offensive line on Monday night. Yeah, Hargrave was a player I really liked. Uh, he, he destroyed Jeremy Zuda in the 2016 game, the Christmas game that that knocked the Ravens out of the playoffs where uh, we won't get into it. I'm still bitter <laughs> over that game. <laughs> it's not over anything about the officiating. It's about the game manager on the Ravens and not not trying to stall out the time at the inside the 10-yard line mm-hmm. when they had taken their sweet time getting down the field. And anyway, it was a it was a it was a bad look from my from my perspective there. Uh, okay, I, you know you talked a little bit about the pass rush there. You want to talk about the linebackers and who's doing what? Yeah, uh, the inside linebackers have been a bit of an adventure. You know, you have Mark Barron, uh, first year to the Steelers. Um, he's been very inconsistent, had a better game against the Bengals, had an interception late, but just he's 30 years old. His coverage skills have continued to decline, you know, former safety, but 
really a, just kind of a shell of himself in that regard. Uh, the Steelers should be getting back Vince Williams this week. He's missed the last couple of weeks with a hamstring injury, so that's going to be big for run defensive communication. You guys talked about issues with who's got the, the green dot and the helmet. Steelers have had the same problem. It's been moved around from Mark Barron to TJ Watt to Devin Bush. They've all kind of wore it. TJ Watt wore the green dot? In week one, he worked, yeah. It you is. have to play every snap. To have and he, well, the funny story is he did, except for two snaps. On the two snaps he didn't play, they gave up touchdowns to, to wow. New England. So <laughs> uh, it's been it's been, – they've been playing Russian roulette with the green dot ever since. But Vince Williams coming back should be a stabilizing force. Uh, obviously, Devin Bush, the rookie, you know, trade up for him, the 10th overall pick. I thought the last two weeks have been his best game. He's kind of seeing predictable progression as he's gotten more snaps, more experience, game slowing down for him. Um, he's making a lot of sideline to sideline type play. So it's, it's been a bit of a work in progress, but I think that group is a getting healthier and B getting more experience and they're, they're playing better. Okay. seems like if Mick is going to be the free safety that he maybe would be the green dot guy and maybe they, they don't like to have it as a safety. They prefer it at linebacker, in which case maybe Vince Williams is the guy again when he comes. Yeah. I think just because Minka plays so far away is the free safety. It's hard to communicate, you know, to, to some guys close to the line of scrimmage. So it's traditionally been an inside linebacker, but obviously communication gets signaled in from the linebackers to the safety safeties, linebackers. They all, they all talk to each other, but the linebacker typically wears the green dot in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Same, same in Baltimore, obviously. Uh, secondary, take us through what's going on there, particularly cornerback, because we haven't hit on that yet. Yeah, the one, I mean, they, they, they missed on Moncrief. Barron's been pretty poor in, in, overall in their free agency moves, but Steven Nelson's been a home run hit. Um, he wasn't their first choice. They went for Bradley Roby, offered him a deal. He goes to Houston and said, so they settled on Steven Nelson, but he's been terrific, both just in my own tape study, our own charting, and then if you want to look at places like PFF, have graded him out really well, but a great man coverage corner. That's basically all Kansas City did, man coverage. Um, so he's been the right cornerback, just been excellent, I thought, overall. Joe Hayden is playing really. He's got a shoulder injury. He's probably still dealing with, but he's just a tough guy, a gamer, a leader, and kind of a rock in the secondary. I thought Mike Hilton's had a bounce back year in the slot, and Cam Sutton's rotated in on, on, on third down situations. Then you have Terrell Edmonds, who looked really good in camp at strong safety, hasn't really exactly carried that over in, in, into uh, the regular season, but it's been getting better than Minka Fitzpatrick kind of getting warmed up to, to his role of free safety in Pittsburgh. So um, again, it's a lot of talent, a lot of first round picks. I mean, Minka, Terrell Edmonds, Joe Hayden, all former first-round picks. You would expect this defense to play well just given the investment uh, that they've had in, in, in really every level of this defense. All right, that makes sense. And, and in terms of Joe Hayden's level of play, you haven't seen any drop-off this year? Um, yeah, I mean, he's not the number one shutdown corner that he was in Cleveland for so long, but, you know, he's a technical savvy guy that probably doesn't have the great speed anymore, but just kind of is able to make up for with all the nuances of the game. I mean, he's, he's getting long in the tooth. I mean, he's probably got another two years left in him, I would say, but, uh, I mean, that shoulder's probably bugging him a little bit, but he's tough. He's fearless against the run and obviously playing Baltimore, you better be able to step up. And my favorite play of Hayden last year, I'll have to maybe send you the clip, Ken, maybe you saw it at some point, uh, Hayden taking on Orlando. Orlando Brown on a toss that they ran to the right side mm. and, and took on Orlando Brown and then bounced off of him and made the tackle on I think it was Alex Collins I believe so just huh. like it's to take Orlando who I love I love Orlando Brown I think it's been a great find for you guys but to take on 300 and whatever he weighs 360 plus pounds and, and be able to make that tackle was like a quintessential Joe Hayden type of play send me that clip I'd love to see it again yeah, uh, I, I I always get upset. Marlon Humphrey has taken on some tackles like that this year, and I'm thinking this guy's not going to last in the league if he's that aggressive, go, taking on the head and shoulders of right <laughs> tackles in this league. Yeah, you know why he's taking them on though? Because he's wearing that number 44, like a yeah. linebacker. I don't like that. I, he's a great <laughs> player, but can we get a petition to change that number? I don't usually comment on jersey numbers, but that is an ugly number for a cornerback. 
All right. I think he may have some family relationship with that number. His dad yeah. may have it or something. Right. I, I forget what the story is. Um, okay. So let's let's reverse this a little bit and talk to me how you game plan against some of the Ravens players, and particularly the offense, uh, Jackson, Brown, Andrews, and the run game that the Ravens have. What do you think the Steelers will do to try and combat them? Yeah, that's tough because the the Ravens can hit you at so many different levels. I mean, I, I watched their offense today for my scouting report that will go up Friday for Steelers Depot. Um, they do everything from pistol getting downhill to the, the read option with those arc blocks by the tight end. And obviously they want to – you tell me, but if it was like every passing concept the Ravens have, have somebody at least going vertical. There's always that vertical element mm-hmm. to their offense. Even if it's not intentional to hit it, it's going to stretch the defense out. So I think, you know, you got to be gap sound, uh, both in with your run fits in the run game and then your rush lane integrity as pass rushers. You're probably doing a lot of one gapping as a, as a pass rush unit. I wouldn't do a lot of two-way goes where guys can have a lot of freedom because that's going to create lanes for Jackson to escape to. I'd probably play a, a good amount of zone coverage and, and have eyes on the football. So if Jackson wants to take off, um, I, I might play a little bit softer that way to tackle the catch, not get beat deep, obviously, by your receivers like Hollywood Brown and then be able to stop Jackson or the check down or anything like that. But uh, it's it's going to be a challenge. The last thing with the defense I want to say is, and this was the biggest point, was they're creating takeaways. They got mm-hmm. how many? Nine takeaways already through four weeks. They wow. had 15 takeaways all of last season. That was the biggest issue, just not creating splash plays. You guys know to win as a defense in the NFL today, you got to create big plays. Offenses are going to move the football. They're going to get yards. That's just the way the league is structured in its current form. So you better be able to create big plays, and this defense has seven takeaways the last two weeks. That's been the biggest difference in why this defense has seen real improvement. Couldn't agree more with you on that, by the way. I mean, one thing that we don't really realize or it's not really talked about enough is how much the obligation is on the defense to create high variance. Offenses mm-hmm. want low variance. They love to get an average gain. They move right up the field. Yep. But they, but defenses need penalties. They need sacks and they need turnovers to fuel the end of drives. And I uh, yep. could not agree more with you on that. Yeah, red zone defense and splash plays. That's how you win in today's NFL. All right. So is is there a player that you think matches up particularly well against the Ravens? And given what you've just described, I'll pick one who I think matches up pretty well against the Steelers. Me, me pick a Ravens player or a right. Steelers player? Yeah, uh, you Steelers pick a Steelers player. player who you think matches up well against the Ravens, offense or defense. Okay. Uh, wow. I don't know if he matches up well, but I'm really curious to see how well Devin Bush does match up against your tight ends because of how tight end centric you guys are, especially Mark Andrews. Mark Andrews is having a great year. Um, you know, he Bush is someone that's probably going to see a lot of 89 on Sunday. And, uh, you know, obviously there's a size mismatch in Andrews favor. So can Bush play big and, and be able to compete at the catch point in some of those situations? So I think, you know, his first look at what Steelers Ravens is all about. Um, I think that'll be a big test for him and how well he defends perimeter runs by Baltimore is going to be big and then how well he defends Mark Andrews um, I think will be a big big factor as well okay I'm, I'm at the same spot I'll, I just how Andrews reacts to the to the zones and is able to find that space sit down and it is a is a very big thing what have you seen so far from Devin Bush in terms of his ability to impact or be aware of the pass play behind him so if the, if the play is two to four mm. yards behind him how effective is he in in dealing with that I think he's still feeling out what it's like to understand what route concepts are and what tendencies are. Um, play action's been an issue where those linebackers get sucked up against San Francisco. It was a big problem where they were getting sucked up with line of scrimmage and then trying to rally and find the football. So I think it's still been it's a it's a work in progress for everything, obviously, because the dude's four games into hopefully a long NFL career. Um, but yeah, I think that's feeling stuff behind him and kind of being able to not get fooled by the quarterback's eyes and knowing route concepts. I would say that's a work in progress. All right, Alex. 
absolutely outstanding and thorough primer on what the Steelers do, who they are, their personnel. I want to do a little bit of mailbag if we've got some, Josh. How are we doing? Yeah, we got a little bit of mailbag. Um, before we get to the mailbag, I just wanted to share, when you guys were talking about Brandon Williams, obviously Earl Thomas and Brandon Williams got into a little spot about after the game, uh, and that caused Harbaugh to talk about it. And his quote was, it wasn't an injury. It was a thing that caused him a lot of pain. And that is what flared up on him. Right. So that falls in line with what you were uh, throwing out there as possibilities. All right. So in the mailbag, just, uh, we're going to take just two questions. Remember, you can get your questions in using the hashtag film study mailbag or going on over to filmstudybaltimore.com and comment over there. Uh, first one up, Ken, this one's pretty much for you. Is The Ravens, they after they... Cut Tim Williams, signed Josh Bynes, signed LJ Fort, trying to make some uh, quick changes this week. How much is that stuff that's going to be an impact this Sunday, or is that more of long-term strategy? I, I think it will happen fairly quickly. It pretty much has to happen over the next two weeks to be of any impact at all. I think there's some question as to whether the LJ Fort signing was actually a special team slash get to know what the Steelers might be up to move. Uh, there will be, it seems to make sense in terms of perhaps getting him on the field as a two down guy, maybe a three down guy, but I, I, I am expecting that the Ravens at some point will at least explore the possibility of playing quarter based on what we've seen with Elliott taking some atypical down and distance dime snaps and obviously the dime play of Levine, who's not going to be pushed out of there at all. So uh, that's that's where I am on the on the changes. I I don't know where Bynes how how quickly Bynes will fit into the game this week, but he may be in there as well. And he's a guy that already knows kind of the Raven system. So the, hopefully. the 2012 Dean Pease defense, yeah, he knows that, and, and and it hasn't changed that much. You're right, Josh, but it's it's uh, uh he he called plays for the Ravens. He's got experience. He's got a lot of experience in the league. Uh, yeah, I'm still I'm I'm hopeful he can contribute. All right, and then uh. Raven Steelers, there's a whole lot of history. What is your favorite moment in the Raven Steelers matchup? You go ahead first, Alex. Oh, wow. I mean, there's a lot to choose from. The Immaculate Extension by AB, though that play's probably a little tainted by what's happened to AB since. I would probably say the 2007 game, what was that, 35-7 Pittsburgh won on Monday night. Uh, that was a 75th anniversary game. Uh, Steelers had all their legends and Hall of Famers in the stands. That was where James Harrison had one of the probably most dominant single-handed performances I've, yes. I've ever seen in that one. And you just got to just own that one end to end. So that's kind of the, one of my favorite games of all time. And also Steelers Ravens doesn't hurt either. That, that made James Harrison a star that game. Yeah. That I mean, hit that, on Ed Reed or on that punt return and just, just <laughs> drove him into the ground. I mean, that's just an iconic play. Okay. I mean, there's a lot to pick, pick from. I, I like the 92 yard drive in 2011 at Pittsburgh. Uh, I, I could pick other things. The, two, the, the other 2011 game would be a great one, the 2010 game at Pittsburgh. But the 2011 drive for 92 yards that uh, that effectively sealed up the division for the Ravens or gave the gave the uh, Ravens a sweep against the Steelers that ended with a Torrey Smith catch. All right, and I'm going with, uh, with Nada breaking Big Ben's nose because that kind of <laughs> set <laughs> – I know it's not an injury. It's not an injury that really takes him out of the game. So I'm not cheering for injuries, but that kind of epitomized like the Raven Steeler matchups each each year to me with that smash mouth football. 
my my so. favorite play of Roethlisberger of all time was an incompletion. It was the one. It was the same game, I believe, where him Terrell Suggs beat Jonathan Scott around the edge and tried to rip the ball away from Ben. And Ben, I'll never understand how he did it, was able to shed Suggs and just turn and backhand the throw and throw it out of bounds. He was going to touch on a couple plays later. I mean, that was just that that play also epitomizes to me. He was ready to Ben Suggs yes. going at it in that kind of moment, prime time football. I thought that was awesome. That's been an outrageously good rivalry, and, and yeah. I think we can both appreciate that. Oh, yeah, 100%. All right, Alex, Steelers Depot, why don't you share with everyone your, uh, how they can follow you on Twitter and what they should go check out on Steelers Depot that you've got up there. Yeah, SteelersDepot.com is the place. Uh, analysis, breakdown, video, podcast, or terrible podcast, which we do every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. We have a beat writer on of the opponent every single week. So like I said, we had John Eisenberg on for today's show. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Alex underscore Kozora, K-O-Z-O-R-A. All right. Outstanding, All right. Alex. And then Ken over on FilmStudyBaltimore.com. We have the defense episode, the offense episode, and now the uh, Know Your Foe episode up. What else is over there? So we get the articles, the articles on the same thing, including the offensive line scoring. Great week for the offensive line, by the way, for the Ravens. They just had an outstanding game. They could have scored 40 points based on that offensive line effort. Uh, it was really the offensive shooting in the, in the foot in other ways that uh, that uh, made that a difficult game for the Ravens and the defense, of course, <laughs> playing the way they did. But uh, that's up there. Uh, we had a great question come in on one of the posts, and I want to start a new thing. If you have a great question, and this guy's was, should the Ravens play the 3-3-5 nickel to try and defend the run better? I'll do an episode around it. We'll do a short episode on exactly that topic. Have you on, talk about it, and we'll go back and forth a little bit about it. But that was such a great question. I thought it was worth it. If we get a question that great again, do the same thing. All right. And, of course, uh, you talked about that offensive line play. All the new graphs are up there, so people should be checking out the gallery tab as well for new graphs for the all – offensive line, uh, some stuff on Lamar, and so just some great images over there to kind of let you understand what's been going on with the games. All, All right. Very cool, Josh. All right, guys. It's Steeler Ravens this weekend. Enjoy Sunday. builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America and the more you do with 5G the more building it right matters the more your network matters the more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters it's us pushing us it's Verizon versus Verizon 5G built right from America's most reliable network most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 US report of three mobile networks results may vary award is not an endorsement Breaking up is hard to do, but when it comes to your wireless carrier, you should have left a while ago. You're over the big three carriers. You deserve better. Xfinity Mobile. Now you can get unlimited with 5G included for just $30 a month on the nation's fastest, most reliable network. So break free from the big three and save with Xfinity Mobile. Take the savings challenge at XfinityMobile.com slash MySavings to see how much you can save when you get Xfinity Mobile and Internet together. Reduced speeds at 20 gigabytes per line. Most reliable based on Root Metrics U.S. report. Results vary, not an endorsement.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.